Well, hello, Harvest Community Church. That was pretty good. (laughs) Hey, my name is Mike. If you're a first-time guest, either live or live, live here or live there, welcome to Harvest Community Church. Man, it feels like summer outside. It's beautiful, beautiful Pennsylvania weather. You couldn't ask for more. Um, So all kinds of weird things are happening in the world. Somebody burned down Minnesota, Minneapolis, which is, I've been to Minneapolis several times. It's a very nice town. People burn down all the wrong towns. Um, I mean, what about Cleveland? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Don't burn down Cleveland, but Cleveland or Minnesota, really, think about it. Which one? Minneapolis? But, <laughs> yes, I'm making light, but we have to smile or we'll go nuts in this crazy world. Here's the good news. The Bible is going out to the world, the good news of Jesus Christ going out to the world faster than it ever has in history. Man, I just saw this, this really uh, cool celebration. There's a ministry that puts the Bible or the gospel, the good news of Jesus, out to electronic devices as a ministry all over the world in different languages. They just hit their two billionth share, two billionth share. Now, of course, you know, even if it's somebody looking at it over and over again, that's still a lot of people. That wasn't even possible 20 years ago, right? So do not be afraid, folks. We live in crazy times, but our God is not crazy. Our God is good. He, he knows what he's doing. Everything's going to be all right, and we get to look at his word. We get to stand and look at his word. So I'm excited about it, but I got I to gotta talk about the summertime for a moment because it's in, in five short weeks, I think it's five short weeks, Harvest is going to do something we've never done, and it's the first time, so we're learning as we do it, and hopefully we get to do it many years to come, if God wills, but we're going to have a camping weekend, and we're, we're going to go to where the Dayton Fairgrounds are, and it's going to be our fairgrounds, and we're going to just hang out from Friday to Sunday and have church there Sunday morning, so circle your uh, dates on your calendar, and, and you say, well, I, I don't want to go and hang out all weekend. You don't have to. You can come on Friday, you can come on Saturday, and then church on Sunday. Come when you want. We're going to roast a pig one of those days. There might be fireworks. Um, who knows? We're, hopefully, we're looking for a bluegrass band uh, to play. We'll see. We're going to do everything we can do. There'll be teaching throughout the weekend, too, and church on Sunday. You might say, well, hey, I'm really good with staying outside. Well, you can bring a tent, and you can stay all weekend. You can bring your RV. You can bring your huge, cool, big air-conditioned RV. I know some of you have them with the pop-out living room, and you could just leave it there for me with a generator on. Think of the fun you'll have. So be ready for that. We're going to call it our Harvest Jamboree. <laughs> Let's look at Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verse 35 to 45. Yeah, I'm in a good mood because not only are there people out there, I'm talking to you online, but I got people in the room. Changes everything. Mark chapter 10, verse 35 to 45. Starting in verse 35, ready? And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him, Jesus, and said to him, Teacher, We want you to do for us whatever we ask you. It's always scary if someone says, hey, could you do me a favor? And then what do you normally want to say? Well, what is it? Um, And they're kind of, Jesus, do us a favor. 
And um, he doesn't just commit. He said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left. Now look at these last three words, in your glory. So when you, great Messiah, take over the world or whatever and Israel's lifted up and you're the king, we're not asking for much. We would just like one of us to be the prime minister and the other to be the third in line in the kingdom. Um, That's all, okay? (laughs) So James and John's concern is, see, they're expecting great things. Jesus had just told them he was going to be beaten and crucified and raised. They didn't listen to that part. They know he's the king. They know they're going into Jerusalem. They know this is, something's going to happen. They expect Jesus to come out the winner, wisely. And they said, look, when you're the king of everything and all the things are fulfilled, we just want to rule with you. Um, and, and, and really, it's not, there's 12 guys, right? He, he, you have hundreds of us following you, and a lot of us are loyal, and you pick 12 guys out of them. And, and out of the, the 12, um, clearly, you think me and my brother, James and John, or John and James, whichever was talking, you think we're pretty impressive because you pulled us out of the 12 to do special things with you, right? We got to do things other people. So clearly you like us. <laughs> I mean, we have very impressive resumes, right? John, John, he's right up there with the very first followers of Jesus. He was a follower of John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, right at the beginning, John stopped following John the Baptist and began following Jesus. So he's like right in there at the first, right? And, and there's his brother James, and, and they, they both got to go and see Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. The other 12 didn't, only Peter. There's that Peter guy, that pesky Peter guy. But uh, besides him, who's their competition, right? If Jesus has 12 closest dudes... It's not weird that James and John should think they're number one and they're number two. We, we, you know, we, we've got the, the resume. Let us in. Um, John has always been kind of concerned with the org chart, right, with the organizational chart. It was John who, who saw one guy once saying, um, uh, preaching in Jesus' name, and he wasn't with them. And he went to Jesus and said, Jesus, I took care of business for us. There was some renegade guy out here. He was some weird evangelist. (laughs) And he was out there casting out demons and preaching in your name. But he wasn't with us, so I told him to knock it off. Do you guys remember that story? Some of you might. Jesus said, don't tell him to knock it off. He's on our side. But, But for John, he's trying to figure out the organization. We should have some sort of centralized leadership. Right? So he's, he's got leadership qualities. Who thinks of the org chart in a moment like that? Right? I don't. I, you know, I'm, if we're walking all day, I'm thinking, what's the next meal going to be? That's what I think about all the time. Must be my Italian blood. Yeah, Italian. Right? When, isn't that what they say in Philadelphia? The, the, all the Jewish, Jewish mothers say to their little boys, Johnny... On the way to school, don't forget your books. All the Italian mothers say, Joey, don't forget your lunch. <laughs> and so the Jews get smarter, Italians get fatter, and, and that's how Philadelphia runs. But John is concerned with organization. Do you know that John and James had a nickname? It's right there in the scriptures. The other 
10 guys, called them Boanerges. Or I may even be, I don't know how you say that. It could be Boanerges. It means, it's translated sons of thunder. So they were loud, they were well-known, and they were leaders, right? Um, there was a point where Jesus was going to go through a Samaritan town. Because he was a Jew, the people of the town said, no, you're not coming. And he had to go around that village. And John and James went to Jesus and said, look, would you like us to call fire down from heaven on them? <laughs> they, they, they wouldn't let us go talk about road rage. You think road rage was invented now? Somebody cut you off. You're like, I hope fire comes down. They wanted to burn the whole village. And Jesus is like, would you two chill? Would you just chill? <laughs> so, I mean, they're leaders. They're leaders. And uh, they, they take charge. So I think their question's logical. When you're the king... What the heck? You're going to need someone on your right hand, someone on your left? Let's just settle it now. Uh, It's like running for president. Who's going to be the vice president? So verse 38, Jesus said to him, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? So then, right, or be baptized with the baptism from which I am baptized? Let's look at the two halves of Jesus' answer. The first part is you don't know what you're asking. Who is Jesus? Yeah, they know he's Messiah, right? They know he's from God. They know he's the Christ. They might even have figured out that he is God in the flesh. But have they figured out that he's the Lord of heaven and earth, the one who made all things, the one who's before all things, the one who'll be after all things, the one who judges all things, the one of which, when you ask to be the second in command to Jesus, you're asking to be the second in command, period, of the universe, of outside the universe. It's the highest height. And he's like, I don't know if you know the job you're applying for. And by the way, I didn't ask you to apply. They don't know, really, they could not have, I don't know what they imagined, but I think they were imagined nationally. Our nation, our people, I want to rule our people. Maybe you could give me a a little area where I could rule all of Galilee and go home a lot. No, you're, you're asking to rule the universe. Uh, when he says, you don't know what you're asking, there's a, no truer words were never spoken. But the second part, Jesus responds by asking them a two-part question. Are you able to drink this cup? Or are you able to be baptized with this baptism? What cup? What cup? If you can drink it, we can drink it. You know, there's some people who, who are very proud of drinking alcohol, Right? And when I was a young man, and, I, and I, even when I would drink too much alcohol, and Lord forgive it, and those days are gone, but even when I did, there were a lot of people who would brag about how much alcohol they could drink. I never understood that. I thought any of us can drink enough to get drunk, and any of us can drink enough to throw up. It's, it's not like winning an arm wrestling match. You just throw enough back, you get fat, you throw up, you say stupid things. And can you drink out of the cup? Well, I can drink anything. What are they going to say to that? Can you be baptized? Well, we were baptized by John the Baptist. and Sure, sure, sure. How hard could this be? Verse 38, they said, yeah, we're able. We can do that, no problem. Again, they have no idea what they're saying. Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. 
And the baptism with which I'm baptized, you will be baptized. You see, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem for the last time before the resurrection. He is going to drink the cup of suffering from the hands of... Now, he doesn't exactly define everything that he means by cup or by baptism, but there's no question that it's an allusion to the suffering I'm about to go give my life for the world. He's going to be spit upon and beaten, and and you know what's going to happen to him. And and, and do you realize you're asking to suffer? This is the first really dark note in his answer. And um, in fact, uh, Jesus, Jesus prophesies something that should frighten them. I don't know if if it did. He says, you're going to drink it. Approximately 10 years after this conversation, James would be pulled out by Herod and, and with a sword have his head removed from his neck. And uh, John would be beaten and various, just have a lot of, he was even dropped in, 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 in oil hot enough to, you know, like tarred and and uh, he lived through that. Who knows the scarring? Um, he was beaten many times. He was jailed many times. And he, and he, was, he, he suffered a lot. And Jesus was saying that. You are going to... You, yeah, you think you can drink the cup. You think I'm just talking about maybe out of a king's chalice. You're worthy of drinking out of this grail. I'm talking about that. And then he goes on and finishes the answer to them. Verse 40 He says, but, and this is his final answer to their job request, but to sit at my right hand and my left, that's not mine to grant. It's for those for whom it has been prepared. Who is that? We don't know. This is God the Son, the man, Christ Jesus, who's also God. He's saying God the Father makes that call. And the call has already been made. So you asking me, is not going to help you at all. And who knows what the org chart of God looks like? Who knows for eternity whether we've got archangels ruling or whether, you know, James and John, sure, they're greater than me or you probably. I'm, I'm fine with them being in charge. But are they going to displace Abraham or Moses or David? He's like, look, this should not be your concern. Verse 41 Now it gets good. And the ten heard it, and they began being indignant at James and John. Indignant. (laughs) I love it. I love it. They were indignant. They 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 were ticked off. They went on Facebook and said the worst things possible about James and John. Hey, they were not happy. They didn't let them play in any reindeer games. They said, yeah. Who do you think you are? James and John, the fishermen from Galilee. You think you're all that in a bag of matzo chips, but you're not. The bickering has begun. <laughs> They're offended. Why should you be in charge? Now, you might think, well, they have a point. But think about that for a minute. <laughs> if you're truly humble... Why would you care? (laughs) The only reason they'd be offended is because they're saying, we don't want you to rule us. Why shouldn't I rule you? And so they're all fighting now. So 
this is a nice calm night around the fire for Jesus and the boys. <laughs> They're all just fighting. Some, there's moms in the church and probably at home listening who know what that's like if you've had several boys especially. <laughs> Everything seemed good a second ago and now it's just a fight. For Jesus, this becomes a teachable moment. And really the heart of, 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 of this moment for us comes in what he says next. Jesus called them to him. And he says, look, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. Now, just to be clear, when you see Gentiles in the scripture, think the, all those other people, all right? That's the Jewish way of saying all of those people, right? Uh, it's the Ross Perot, you people, you people. Um, those people, who are they? It doesn't matter. They're not us. They're not Jews. We are God's chosen they worship false gods. They do filthy things. They're not clean. They're pagans. They're stupid. They're bad. Those people, Gentiles. You know those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. They're great ones. Exercise authority over them. He's not talking about some special way the Gentile nations of that day did it. He's talking about the normal way nations do things. Then he says, but it shall not be so among you. For whoever will be great among you must be your servant, and whoever will be first among you must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay, that's our text. I want to just give us three principles from Jesus' teachable moment. Because... uh, we're his disciples today. And uh, so we want to learn, right? We want to learn what he's teaching them. Because uh, to be a Christian, you're washed clean from your sin immediately. You're born again. Though your body is dead because of sin, your spirit is alive because of righteousness, because Christ is in you. But that doesn't mean you're finished. Now we learn to live as a disciple of Christ. And that's ongoing for the rest of your life, no matter how old you are. So, let's try to learn together. Three principles. One, there is to be a contrast regarding leadership in God's kingdom and the kingdoms of man. It is the way of the world that the greater you are, the more power you gain over more people. Right, that's, and we're talking, when I say great, I'm talking political power, right? That's what they wanted, power. Um, you can have political power in a nation, you can have it in a city, you can have it in a state, right? These fights are happening in Harrisburg, in Washington, D.C., in seven square blocks in Seattle. <laughs> um, they're already fighting. If you don't know what that is, don't worry about it, but they're already fighting, because this is what people do. Right? These, ha- these are happening in Beijing. They happen in Havana. Um, they happen in, in downtown Indiana, wherever those people meet to, to chat about who's in charge. Uh, there, there is, there is an, a, a motivation to be on top. And the greatest ones are the ones who lead the most people. Top dog, it could be in a business. You could have political fighting in a business or a school or even in a social group. It can get ugly, right? 
But being top dog motivates a lot of people. Uh, now, not everybody, but some people really want to be the top dog. And it's how kingdoms work. This isn't, this shouldn't be if, if you've paid attention at all in your life or if you've lived for a little while, this isn't a newsflash. It's how nations work. It's how armies work. It's normal. This is so normal for people just to push and climb to get to the top and be in charge of everybody. It's, you won't find a place on earth where that doesn't happen. Nowhere. Nowhere. That's normal. And that's what Jesus was saying when he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentile lord over them and their great men rule over them. That's what he's saying. But then he makes this contrast. So that's the norm of all the earth, including the United States of America where you live. By contrast, he says, verse 43, but it shall not be so among you. Shall not. And now, now, as you read that in the English Standard Version, you may think, well, is, he, is he saying, please don't act like this? No, he's not saying that. Right? I think it's even better translated this one from the Greek to the New American, the way the New American Standard says it. So let me show you the New American Standard. It says, but it is not this way among you. In other words, he's saying, I'm building a kingdom, boys. And we're at the, at the, at the, at the, at the baby end. You know, he's going to die. He's going to raise from the dead. He's going to ascend to heaven. He's going to send down the spirit. And then the kingdom is going to grow in the hearts of people. And eventually it comes in glory when he returns. And he's saying, I have a government that I'm building. And that government does not behave like the governments of the earth. It's not that way. You're asking to be on my right and my left because you're thinking the way the world thinks. That's not how we do this thing. We have a whole different structure. If you come to America, you can take a civics class. I don't know if you can take it anymore, but you used to be able to take a civics class. And they would tell you you have three branches of government and and how there's uh, why there's three and, and all that stuff. And there's two in the legislature branch in Senate and one's the people's house, one's the Senate. And, and we could just break it all down and tell you this is how the government works. And if you want to rise to the top, that's how you do it. He's saying, my government, do you want to know how it works? Do you want to take civics class with me? Let me give you my civics book. And they're taking notes and here it is. This is the civics class. He says, it's not going to be that way among you. It's not going to be that way. James and John, you want power based on competence. There's every reason to believe. There's no reason not to believe, I should say, that James and John probably should have been. That maybe they were the most competent. <laughs> Jesus is saying there's no need to scramble for position, boys. We're not like the nations of the earth. That leads us to the next principle. Leadership in God's kingdom requires the sacrifice of the self to serve others. So there's the contrast. Leadership. I'm not talking about, a lot of people are happy not to lead in many situations. And there's nothing wrong with that. (laughs) In fact, it's helpful. If everyone's got to be the king, there's nobody to do the real work, right? Um, So leadership, though, okay, you got to lead. In the kingdom of God, I mean, the owner of the football team doesn't have to clean the stadium, right? The king doesn't have to clean up the manure. There's a pecking order. 
In God's kingdom, he turns it upside down. Are you competent in the kingdom of God to lead? Yes? Good. You're worthy of last place. Wait a minute. I'm competent to lead, John says. I'm a son of thunder, for goodness sake. They don't just hand out son of thunder. I am the son of thunder, baby! You're worthy of last place. (laughs) I am the goat. I am the greatest. Okay, do you want to lead, Jesus says? Do you want to be the greatest? Yeah, I want to lead. Yeah, I want to be the greatest. Okay, why don't you be like the greatest one? Who's the greatest one? Jesus, okay. <laughs> What's a, what do you think? Jesus is, who would argue that Jesus is not the greatest leader? Okay, if he's the greatest leader, what's next on his leadership agenda? When he breaks out his century at a glance calendar and looks at the coming week, they don't have week at a glance anymore, so that doesn't work. When he breaks out his Google calendar, what's on his, what's next week? Well, triumphal entry. <laughs> it's a big week coming up. Israel's long-awaited great king will come. The one the Pharisees have taught them about since they were little children. The one they talk about around the, 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 the dinner table at night. The one they hope for when things go bad in the government. The king that has been prophesied who's going to lift their nation out of being oppressed and make it great and make it pure and make it clean and fulfill all the promises of God to make them the perfect nation. He is coming. That's the triumphal entry. But when the king comes, how does he come? He doesn't come on a war horse. He doesn't come on a gold-gilded carriage worthy of a king with footmen and all that stuff. How does he arrive? The prophet had already said this. Rejoice greatly in Zechariah 9. O daughter of Zion, shout in triumph. O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and he is endowed with salvation. Awesome. Where is he? Roll out the red carpet. He's humble. He's mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And back in the King James, this is the one time the boys got to cuss in church. Well, I can't even do it now because they changed the word to donkey. That's okay. I love cowboy movies. It's American to love cowboy movies. If you say, well, I don't love cowboy movies, I just want you to know you got a little bit of communist in you and you don't want to work that out. Sorry. I've never seen John Wayne ride in on a donkey. You ride in on a donkey, you're not impressive. Right? Kids ride in on donkeys. No one rides donkeys, actually. You just pack things on them. Kings don't ride donkeys. Israel did not recognize the king. This is the moment when they reject the king. And he'll end on a cross. The nation that's been waiting for the king from God gets the king from God. He comes as the prophet says he would, and they don't recognize him. Why not? He didn't look kingly. He didn't look like a king. The simple bride at the simplest wedding has more fanfare than that. She at least has a nice dress, puts some makeup on, and, and people play a little song or something when she comes down so people know this is the entrance. A donkey? He didn't even change into his 
Saturday best because he didn't have Saturday best. He didn't have well-dressed attendants. He didn't have red carpets. You, you think if the king is coming, there'd be someone to receive him, all dressed in their best, standing at attention. Behold, the king is coming. Now they had some rabble-rousing poor people throwing their rags down and waving. They, they had to pull leaves off the trees and wave them. <laughs> no officers of the city in fact, when he finally got off the donkey, there were the leaders of the town telling him, could you tell the children to shut up? Jesus is the greatest one. He has all the power to rule. James, what was it you wanted again? You want to be second? John, you want to be third? James, like, switch that. <laughs> okay, Whatever. Is this the power you seek? Look how great Jesus really is. And he is betrayed. He is beaten. He is spit upon. Eventually stripped naked in public, bleeding in front of his mom, nailed to a piece of wood, and hung out like meat to dry. That's what the greatest leader is, and that's God's plan. James, John, you guys want to be great now? You want to be great now? Can you drink this cup? Well, Lord, maybe I don't want to be great. (laughs) And so, Jesus brings it home here for all of us. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The king deserved all praise. When Jesus stepped on the earth, all the earth should have stopped. The trees of the field should have clapped their hands. (laughs) I mean, the sky should have sung to him and definitely every human should have bowed down. And it says, but he came to give his life as a ransom. Let's explore that for a second Think about it. For three years, Jesus is a local hero. He's the Friday Night Lights quarterback who won the championship. Everybody knows him everywhere he goes. He's constantly thought to be great. He goes into cities and crowds follow him. He never has to pay for food. That's how you know you've made it. When you can go into any restaurant and someone else buys your steak. And then you don't need them to do that. That's how it works. Catch 22. It's an honor to serve him. Okay, get this. Every single thing Jesus did and every single thing Jesus said for three years were acts of serving another person. Everything he did was an act of service. And you say, well, who? Who was he serving? Well, you read the stories. He was serving bad people. He liked to serve prostitutes. He made himself a servant of drunkards, drug users, sinful people. He loved to serve stupid people. Stupid people were one of his favorites. Stubborn people, silly people, angry people. (laughs) Why? Well, that's what he came for. He said, the Son of Man did not come to be served. You should have been served. I know. That's not why I came. 
Well, this don't make no sense. Not to you. God has a plan. (laughs) I came to serve the yo-yos and the idiots and the smart people. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Listen, think about it. After three years, everywhere he went was crowds. If the Pharisees couldn't have got him alone and they say, thank you, Judas, they couldn't have taken him. No mob would have let him. He was the guy. People loved him. They wanted to serve him. If you've ever been around someone you just think is all that, is it, you know, I don't know what you're supposed to say today. I was going to say the cat's meow, but what the heck is that? Someone you just think is great. You want to serve them. They come to your house, you're like, sit down. You look in your fridge, and you're like, I can't believe I don't have anything decent to serve this people. You ever felt that way? I don't have anything decent to serve this person, right? You felt that way, right? Okay, think about this. That's the food you eat. It's not good enough for him. Why? Because he's somebody, (laughs) right? That's how you want to serve. He didn't exploit his position. He didn't manipulate anybody. He didn't parlay it into a government position. What's it mean to serve? What does that mean? Now, today, servants have to get respect. <laughs> don't call her a waiter. Don't call him a wait. A wait. Don't, call her, don't call her a waitress. Don't call him a waiter. They're d- dignified. They're servants. Make sure you tip them 100% because <laughs> they're working hard for you. I mean, it's like, whoa, we're here to worship them. It's not even making sense anymore. What's a servant? Servant is someone who does all their acts to benefit Who? somebody else right (laughs) so for three years Jesus served he served his mom we're out of wine it's not my time mom do what he says okay he served the 12 he served the crowds he served his enemies he would even take time to teach his enemies who were cantankerous and mean he served the demon-possessed. He served the beggars. He served lep- lepers. You know the stories. He served the rich. He loved to serve the rich. And he served the poor. He loved to serve the beggars. He served Samaritans, and they're just nasty, awful people, the Jews. He served his buddies, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He served pagans when they'd show up. He'd serve Roman soldiers. Roman soldiers! He served the ungrateful. He served, he served everybody. What was his greatest act of service? The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as ransom. That was his greatest act of service. The cross of Jesus Christ, putting Jesus on the cross was the greatest sin, right? Evil men doing bad things, right? Can you sin more than the cross? You say, well, I can think of sins worse. No, you can't, because you have to think of who the sin is being done to. You've never dealt with someone completely innocent. And it was an act of service. It was done for the benefit of other people. For you, for me, for the many. We were in bondage. It says we were ransomed. There was a payment that needed to be made in the spiritual reality that we don't understand. We were owing a debt to God because of our unrighteousness that we could not pay. We were in bondage to sin and and the guilt and the shame that came with it and we couldn't get out. And he said, okay, I'm gonna serve you. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pay your ransom. 
Some of you people won't let someone pay for your food. Some of you, you can't even give a doggone Christmas gift to without you going, oh, you shouldn't have, you spent too much. Okay, if that's you, can I tell you something in love and as politely as I can? Shut up. (laughs) I'm just a sinner. My motives probably aren't even pure, you know. (laughs) I do like you and I want you to have it, but I'm afraid you won't like me if I don't. I'm not even that great of a person. Just take the gift already. But if you have trouble taking a gift from me, imagine... You know, that, now you know why Peter said, Lord, don't wash my feet. Okay, you got a problem. What? You're a sinner before God. All right, Jesus, I don't want to trouble you. I don't want to hear you don't want me to trouble you. I'm going to serve you now. I'm going to die for your sins. That's too much. If I don't do this, you don't get saved. Why did he do that? Why would the greatest serve us like that? You know, there was a relationship going on between him and his father. And he loved his father, and his father was very pleased with him. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. He said, son, I got work for you. What is that? I need you to serve all those sinners. I could, I could judge them and then go to hell. Or you can go down there as the greatest one ever and become a servant to all of them. Yes, Father, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world, that the, that the world in the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God sent his Son on a mission. He said, you go be the least and serve the worst. You're the greatest, be the least, serve the worst. And that is how salvation was won. Not with beating up the bad guys, stopping all their arguments, crushing their heads, and taking over their thrones. The greatest became the least, served the worst. What a story. (laughs) And then Jesus says, that's how I'm going to populate my kingdom. With my blood, I'm going to buy you. And you're going to be born again. And you're going to have a new spirit. And you're going to be forgiven of your sins. And then you'll instantly become a citizen. That's the citizenship. That's the citizenship test. You have to be born again. You can sneak in, but you'll get kicked out. And that's how I'm going to populate my kingdom. And so, what I'd like all of you people to do is just follow the leader. So you're, you're saying to me, James, you're saying to me, John, I want to sit on your right, I want to sit on your left. Because you've got this vision of how important you're going to be, right? And, but you don't even, it's not like that, he's saying in the kingdom. It's not like, that's not how we do this, right? <laughs> uh, there isn't one of those. Because when the greatest is willing to, to become the least to serve the worst, you're not as important as me. What do you think you're going to do? So finally, and this is really where the rubber meets the road, And where you have to realize that you're here to worship God and you're either here to change when you hear the word of God or you're here to stay the same. And I have no effect over that. All I can do is present to you the Bible and now you have to ask yourself, why did God have me come to church today virtually or in person? He wanted to do some business with me. He wanted to talk to me. 
Number three, we are invited to a radical reorientation of our lives. What's the lesson for James and John? And it was a teachable moment. Do you see, in our story, James and John needed a, a checkup from the neck up, right? They needed an attitude adjustment. They needed to see things from a different point of view, did they not? Didn't they? They came in thinking, he's going to be the king. I'm going to be the prime minister. You're going to be whatever comes after prime minister. And we're going to be awesome. And Jesus is like, you, you have no idea what you're asking. You have no idea what it's going to cost you to follow me. And uh, they're like, we're good for it. He goes, well, it's not, it's not for me to give, so job interview over. So yeah, and they go back to see if there's any beans, coffee still at the, at the campfire. And the other 10 are like, oh, it's got to be you. You people think you're all that. Why couldn't, you know, Andrew's over there saying, what about me? I'm Peter's brother. Peter's obviously the big shot. He's going to be number two. I'm going to be number three. Take that, James. You know, Barnabas is over there. I'll kill you both. I beat you both up. I'm smarter than you. I did better than you in Hebrew school. And they're all fighting over this. What do they need? They need an attitude adjustment. They need a reorientation. So Jesus says, come here, boys, sit down. It's time to look at things the kingdom way. Well, God's word is alive and active, which means right now, it's just as alive as when he told them, which means you're sitting wherever you're sitting, and he is talking to you. And what's he saying to you? John was the son of thunder. John is an apostle like no other. If I had to say one was the greatest, not counting Paul, I'm going with John, and I still might go with John. John wrote the Gospel of John. He got to write 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He was so awesome, he named all the books after himself. (laughs) And he wrote Revelation, the book that has scared more people in history. I mean, that's better than Stephen King. He, He lived longer. He... We don't know how old he was, but he could have been as young as 20 because he lived till 90-something A.D. So either he had to live till over 100 or he started really young. You couldn't burn him in oil and kill him. And he wanted, who doesn't like a guy who says, the Samaritans won't let you through, law and order. John tweeted that out. (laughs) Law and order. Send in the National Guard. Bring fire from heaven and kill them, Samaritans. He was bold. He was bold. You know, he'd say what he needed to say. Jesus, you're going to have to let me be number two because the rest of these knuckleheads, I know you like Peter's boldness, but look at him. He's a clown. He keeps making dumb mistakes. There's me. I got a feeling if he was around, he's the kind of guy I'd follow. Son of thunder. That's what his boys called him. He lived the longest, so long that some of the ancient church fathers wrote about him. Now, it's not in the scripture, but you can find ancient church fathers who knew John. Because he lived, he wouldn't, do wouldn't die. (laughs) There was a rumor that he was going to live till the Lord returned. The rumor's right there in the end of John's gospel. Read it. It's not true, but he even put that. People were saying this about me. Just wouldn't die. At the end of his life, when he got off the Isle of Patmos, one church father said they would take, his body was broken and crippled. 
because he'd been beaten. So imagine the arthritis in this man. He couldn't walk. So they'd carry him from town to town, to house church to house church, whenever they could, because people wanted to see John. And when he'd come, that church father said he always had the same message, love one another. And if you read First and Second, Third John, you know that's what he's talking about. Love one another, to the point where he was questioned, why is this always what you say? And his answer was to the extent of, well, if you do this, all the rest will follow. He used to be a son of thunder. He got an attitude adjustment. He realized we don't live for ourselves. Little children love one another. That's what he just kept saying. Following Jesus is reduced to one practical point for him, for all of us. And if a, and if a big mouth, probably big mouth dude, if you're going to be called sons of thunder, you're loud. Now, I've, I'm a quiet person from a quiet family, so I don't understand that stuff, but. <laughs> Some people are loud and mean. John was loud, but he was a softy. God made him a softy. If you're going to love people well, you know what you've got to give up? Fame. Greatness. The desire to be seen as the one in charge. To be loving, you have to live for the benefit of others. We live in a time where people are obsessed with being their best self. Have you heard that? I just want to be my best self. And we got this idea that there's a vision of myself and, and a good moral responsibility would be if I can just care for myself in such a way, get my mind set in such a way, get my body in such a way, and use essential oils, then I will be my best self and make my greatest contribution to the world. Look, I'm big on self-improvement, right? And if you need to improve, go for it. But there is a subtle deception in that. Because you can become a very dangerous distraction to yourself. If all you ever think about is your best self, then all you ever think about is your self. I'd rather you ate potato chips and sat on the couch if you spent more time thinking about how you could benefit someone else. Being your best self, who cares? Who cares? You're impressive to you. Doesn't work. There's this girl, one of the top Christian books for the last couple of years named Woman, Wash Your Face. I don't know why she chose that name. I didn't read the book. As soon as I saw the title, I thought, it's not for me. It says woman or girl. Any of you hear that book, Girl, Wash Your Face? Well, woman, if your face is dirty, that's a good place to start. Wash your pits too. Wash everything, dog. Go on, take a shower. You smell. Got the sad news today on the headlines. It wasn't in my sermon notes. She's getting a divorce. She goes around explaining how everyone can be their best self. And she has to go through the tragedy, the pain that many people at church know or have felt. I'm not saying it could have been prevented. Who knows? What is your orientation right now? What? do you live for? Is it the benefit of yourself or the benefit of others? 
If you could count all your words for the last three years, how many of them were said to serve someone? If you can count all your Facebook posts, how many of them were said to serve someone? All your texts, how many of them were said to serve someone? To benefit someone? All Jesus's were. Well, what about me? What about you? Can you drink the cup? <laughs> I mean, if the cup of following Jesus means you could be beaten and boiled in oil or have your head lopped off, all I can say is, what about you? You let me worry about you. You worry about me. <laughs> you getting it? Is all that you do done to benefit someone who's not you? Well, what about me? Who's going to look out for number one? You're not number one. That's Jesus. I'm asking you, is everything you do done? What are your goals? Do you even have any? What are they? God is calling through this text every one of us to copy him. Right? If you want to be great, become the servant of all. If you want to be first, be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life. Well, if the leader does that. My friends, when I'm old, which is 50 years from now, I'm thinking. (laughs) I want people to say, (laughs) he's known just by love. I knew him when he was young. He was a bit cantankerous. (laughs) But he's getting better. (laughs) He stopped thinking about himself all the time. And he always made me important. This is the Jesus way. You have to decide, is it going to be your way? Because that's the Jesus way. There's not another one. You can go to church and never know Jesus. You can go to church and never walk the Jesus road. And you can believe it's all true. But the ones who are saved are the ones who are ready to follow a man who's going to a cross. And he rides in on his highest note, bouncing around like Festus on a donkey. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.